0: Uh, We'll be reading from Mark today, uh, the next story about Jesus. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He just saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Uh, Thank you, Sue, for reading for us. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Uh, My name is James. I'm a ministry trainee here, and it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Have you ever been frustrated by someone who keeps making the same mistake? Last year at the vet clinic, I saw a 12-week-old Labrador puppy that was vomiting and unwell. And it turned out this puppy had eaten a sock which had got stuck somewhere in the small intestine. It had to have surgery, we removed the sock, all went well, puppy went home with strict instructions to the puppy and the owner No more socks. The next week, Puppy is back with another sock stuck in the small intestine. It was like deja vu, only with less sympathy. Well, just last week in Mark chapter 4, we looked at the disciples in a boat, in a storm, in the middle of a lake, and they were terrified. And then, before their very eyes, with just a word, Jesus said, be still. And the storm stopped. Then Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith, and the disciples are left wondering, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This week, we've just read the disciples are in a boat. The winds are heavy, they're in the middle of the lake, And Jesus appears walking on water. And they're absolutely terrified. And again, show no evidence of faith. It's almost deja vu. How frustrating for Jesus. It seems like nothing has changed. It seems they haven't learned anything from last time. Why is that? Well, as Mark's about to show, it's not for lack of evidence, but it's because their hearts were hardened. So let's look at what Jesus is doing and what Mark wants us to see. You'll be relieved to know we have again this week three points. Firstly, a new shepherd. Secondly, a new Exodus. And thirdly, the same hard hearts. A new shepherd. Just earlier in chapter 6, Jesus sends the disciples out in pairs. This was a short term mission trip, a trip of preaching, healing, and driving out demons. And now, verse 30, the disciples are back. They're feeling a bit like you do once you come back from a Christian camp. They're on a high, they're buzzing with excitement. They can't wait to tell Jesus everything they've seen and said. But they're also exhausted. They're hungry. They've been so busy, there hasn't even been time for a toilet break. No time for lunch. You might know that feeling when you've been on your feet all day and you get to 3 p.m. and you haven't even sat down. That's been every day for the disciples. So Jesus says, okay, time out. Let's get away. Time to escape. Verse 31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they jump in a boat and head for the most isolated, uninhabited place they can think of. But their peace was short-lived. The crowd wouldn't allow it. They simply wouldn't allow this to be the final curtain call. They want more Jesus. Verse 33, many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Jesus' departure sparked something of an impromptu Galilean fun run. It's chaos. It's a complete frenzy. If you were Jesus, can you imagine how you'd respond when you saw that crowd? I think I'd be saying, ah, quick, let's turn that boat around. Remember, Jesus is exhausted. He's hungry. He just needs to escape from the world for just a moment. The tank's empty. But instead, what does Jesus do? Verse 34, when he saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is Jesus. This is who he is. Isn't it amazing? When he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He cares for them. He feels for them. He feels compassion for them. When he looks at them, he sees sheep without a shepherd, confused, lost, with no direction. I don't know what you think of when you think of a shepherd. Perhaps it's one of those stained glass windows you see in a church with Jesus holding a lamb. There's one up on the screen. It's so cute, isn't it? Perhaps it's that typical Australian sheep farmer, someone riding a four-wheeler with a kelpie on the back. Maybe you think of someone living in poverty with just one or two sheep tied to a tree. Sometimes I feel a bit like a shepherd, chasing after sheep in a paddock, leaping and diving in the hope of just catching a leg. But this is not the picture of a Bible shepherd. A Bible shepherd is a leader, a king, someone who leads from the front, a shepherd who calls the sheep and the sheep follow. You might think back to some of those great shepherds of the Old Testament, people like Moses and Joshua who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. For God's people, these shepherds bring back vivid memories of Israel's past. But they are also, it's also an image full of Old Testament promise and expectation. You might remember a really significant promise in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. It's a promise about a shepherd, a new shepherd, a good shepherd, one who will lead and feed and protect God's people. But the most incredible part of this promise is that the shepherd will be God himself. Ezekiel 34 verse 15, God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. God will be their shepherd, the divine shepherd. And here on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus wants us to see that that day has come. God has arrived. He's arrived in Jesus, the divine shepherd. So what does Jesus do? What is the outflow of his compassion when he sees his sheep? He starts feeding them. Verse 34, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. We can't afford to miss this. You might think that Jesus' compassion led to the feeding of the crowd with bread and fish. And that would make sense. These people have just had a long run. They're in the middle of nowhere. A bit of refreshment would be a kind gesture. But actually, Mark says, Jesus' compassion is towards a deeper need, a more pressing hunger, one which bread alone cannot satisfy but his words can. It's Jesus' words that his sheep need above everything else. We worry so much for our immediate needs. It's amazing if you think of how much effort goes into the fact that you eat each day. And did you know Jesus says, you need my teaching even more than this? I have a friend who's in the habit of reading her Bible as she eats lunch each day at work. And I'm not suggesting we all do this, there's many good reasons for us to spend time with colleagues, but for my friend, it's a reminder that just as I'm feeding my body with food, just as I've been looking forward to lunch all morning, so I need God to feed me with his words. Bread is not enough. And this is the lesson God was teaching the Israelites in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know that in your, what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, And here's the important line to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What a wonderful verse that is. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So here on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, a new shepherd. The divine shepherd feeding his flock. Feeding them with words. Words that have come from the mouth of the Lord. Words that bring life. So that's the first point. A new shepherd. Jesus, God himself, who gathers and teaches and feeds his flock with his words. The second thing Mark wants to see is a new exodus. Exodus. Verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Show's over. Time to pack up. But Jesus isn't finished yet. And despite the disciples' lack of faith... What unfolds is a miraculous banquet in which five loaves of bread and two fish multiply to feed 5,000 men in addition to women and children. And like all good meals, there's leftovers, 12 baskets full. I have no idea how many Tupperware containers that would equate to. I think Jesus is wanting to see us to see a number of things here. And we'll just consider two because we haven't got time for everything. I think, firstly, this feeding with bread and fish is a physical representation of what Jesus has already been doing for them ever since he got off the boat. It's a visual demonstration of how he's already been feeding them with his words. Jesus is saying, Let me prove to you that I am the Good Shepherd. God who provides for you with this miraculous bread and fish so that you will listen to my teaching and remember that you cannot live by bread alone but by every word that comes from my mouth. Jesus' signs prove his word. Secondly, Jesus is transporting us back to the book of Exodus He's giving us Exodus 2.0. I wonder if you notice some of those strange details. Their location is described three times verse 31, 32, and 35. It's described as a solitary place or a remote place. The same word in the Greek can be translated as wilderness. And so, just like the book of Exodus, we're in the wilderness. And then there's the disciples' response when Jesus tells them in verse 37, you give them something to eat. They're alarmed at the suggestion. What a ridiculous impossibility. Their response echoes Moses in the wilderness. He's exasperated. He cries out, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. There's an impossible number of people to feed and not enough food. And finally, the clearest link of all, the miraculous feeding. Just like how God fed the Israelites in the wilderness with manna from heaven, now Jesus miraculously multiplies the loaves and fish to feed the multitude. But there's one more Exodus image. A private encore for the disciples and for us. Verse 48. The disciples are in a boat in the middle of the lake. The wind is against them. They're straining at the oars. And then, out of nowhere, Jesus appears walking on water. The disciples are terrified. Jesus gets in the boat and the wind stops. This is someone the creation recognises and obeys. This is someone who has divine power and authority over the sea. So as God demonstrated his power in parting the Red Sea in Exodus, so now Jesus shows his power by walking upon it. Verses 35 to 51 plant us so deeply right back in the book of Exodus. So why are we given so many Exodus images? What is Jesus doing here? Well, I think he's wanting to ask ask two questions. And they're the same questions he's asking the crowd and the disciples. First question, who then is this? And the second question, have you learnt your lesson yet? Both the feeding and the walking on water prompt the same question we saw the disciples asking in the boat last week after Jesus calms the storm. And it's the most obvious question. They ask, Who then is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And if we're thinking of Exodus, then we should be able to join the dots. It's God. It's God who miraculously fed his people in the wilderness. It's God who controls the waters and triumphed over the sea. And it could only be that this same God is in their midst, who fed the 5,000 and who walks on water. And then the second question have you learnt your lesson? Have you learnt your lesson from the first Exodus? The generation who grumbled in the wilderness and died in the desert. They saw God's mighty power. They walked through the parted sea. They ate manna from heaven. But they disobeyed, they didn't trust God's words. So to the disciples and the crowd, Jesus says, this is your opportunity. This is round two. I'm leading a new exodus, leading you out of slavery to sin and into ultimate rest. Will you enter? Will you trust my words? I have fed you with them. Will you live by them? Or... Will you turn away and perish like the generation in the wilderness? What was the lesson God was teaching Israel in those 40 years in the wilderness? Well, we read it before, didn't we? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commandments he humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna to teach you to teach you this lesson that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the lord have the crowds learnt this lesson or have they only gone home with a belly full of bread And if they've only gone home with a belly full of bread, then they won't make it to the promised land. They'll die before they get there. And sadly, at the end of chapter 6, just beyond the end of our reading, there's every indication that many of them haven't learnt this lesson. The very next day, they're hungry again. They're only looking for signs and wonders. So despite a new shepherd leading a new exodus, we still have the same old problem, the same hard hearts. Well, you might think, okay, maybe not the crowd, but surely by now the disciples are starting to put the pieces together. Hmm, hang on a minute, maybe, maybe Jesus is God. We couldn't quite wrap our heads around it last week when he calmed the storm, but hey, we've got some more evidence now. Look at the way he fed everyone yesterday. Now he's walking on water. Things are starting to make sense. It's easy for us to assume that this is where the disciples are at, but instead we're surprised when we read that instead of responding in faith, they were completely amazed. The disciples still don't get it. They're utterly confused because, verse 52, they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They don't understand about the loaves. They don't understand what happened yesterday with the feeding. They can't see Jesus as the new shepherd, they can't see him leading the new Exodus. And Mark tells us that the only reason the disciples don't get it is because their hearts were hardened. It's not a problem with Jesus. It's not a problem with his words. They saw with their own eyes his signs and power, but they did not understand because their hearts were hardened. What a shock this is. The disciples, Jesus' closest friends, his hand-picked followers, hard hearts. I don't know about you, but when I think of hard hearts, I think of Pharaoh or the generation who grumbled in the wilderness or the Pharisees, but it's the disciples too. And we see here that this is what it's like to have a human heart. I think we'd all like to think that we'd be so different to the disciples. If only I was there, if, I, if only I heard Jesus speak, if only I saw him walking on water, then it would be so easy to believe. And we need to realise that, to be honest, that's not true. We are no better than the disciples. We have the same human heart, just as they did. And Jesus knows this. He knows the state of the human heart. He knows that this is why people can't, can see him with, his, with their eyes and hear him with their ears, but still don't understand. Just a few pages earlier in the book of Mark, chapter 4, Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Let me read you Isaiah's words. This is Isaiah 6, verse 9. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but not perceiving. And this is the bit that Jesus quotes. But then Isaiah drills in deeper. He says, make the heart of this people calloused. Make the heart of this people calloused. You might have a callous on your hand or your foot. When I used to play the cello, I had a callus on my thumb on the spot where you used to press the string down. It's a thick, hard piece of skin which is designed to help your skin cope with extra wear and tear. And a callus is a useful thing on a thumb or a foot, but not a good thing on a heart. And a calloused heart or a hard heart is especially dangerous Because our hearts determine how we respond to God. They are hearts that are unfeeling and unresponsive when they encounter the creator of the universe. Jesus is going to spend the next two chapters of Mark talking about the problem of the human heart. Because it's this that prevents people really seeing Jesus clearly, really understanding people need to understand with their hearts. And I think understanding that this is what the human heart is like helps us make sense of people's response to Jesus, both in Mark's Gospel and today. You probably have friends or family around you that aren't Christians, and maybe you've tried sharing the Gospel with them. And sometimes it feels like it just bounces straight back off them, doesn't it? It's confusing, it's hard to see. And maybe you're tempted to think, perhaps Jesus isn't good news for them after all. Perhaps he doesn't really have anything to offer them. Or maybe you think, I just didn't quite get the right words. It must be me, if only I'd said it a bit differently. Remember that people responded to Jesus in just the same way. It wasn't a problem with Jesus. It wasn't a problem with his words. The only reason they didn't understand was because their hearts were hardened. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you don't really understand about Jesus, then please hear this. You won't be able to understand Jesus with just your mind. You need to understand him with your heart And that sounds confusing, but the good news is that Jesus is good with hearts. And he promises to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ask him for it. Don't wait. And if you're a Christian, then remember the only reason you have understood about Jesus Is because God has changed your heart. You were no better than the disciples. It's only by God's grace. And remember that God is still changing our hearts. We have a new heart of flesh, but we're still struggling with our hearts of stone. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, then ask yourself how's your heart? It's possible to be so close to Jesus and yet have a part of your heart that is still so hard. It's possible for your heart to be hardened by bitterness as you go through life and experience pain and disappointment. It's possible for your heart to be hardened by other loves, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, And the desire for other things, as Jesus puts it in Mark 4. So I think the warning for you, if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, is be careful. How's your heart? Is it as soft as it was when you first came to Jesus? Is it still getting softer? Or is it becoming hard again? Be careful. Watch where your heart is going. How tragic it would be if Jesus said to us, like he did the Pharisees, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So the big question, what can we do about our hearts? How can we change our hearts? And the answer is, we can't. We can't. We can't change our own hearts. We cannot change the hearts of our friends or our family who don't believe. So, in thinking about application, there's really only one thing we can do, and that is to come to Jesus and ask Him to change our hearts. That's what He does. If you read on in Mark's Gospel over the next two chapters, you'll see that Jesus is the solution. He can heal deaf ears. He can open blind eyes. He will take away our hearts of stone and give us new hearts. We just need to come to him and ask. Let's do that now. Our Father... We come to you because there is no one else who can help us. We know our hearts are hard. There are calluses on them. Thank you that you have promised to take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Please do that for us. We don't want to be like people who honor you with our lips, but whose hearts are far from you. Help our hearts to be near you and closer each day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.